Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie Easton. This, this is the Sunday Seven. On today's episode of the Sunday Seven, there are gene therapy breakthroughs, a mysterious noise that plagues people across the world, and evidence that humans aren't as special as we once thought. But first, it was on this day in 2020 that US Vice President Mike Pence received the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine live on TV. Seven. Uh, today, we're here to talk about fusion combining two particles into one. At a press conference on Tuesday, the US Department for Energy announced a major scientific breakthrough in the race to recreate nuclear fusion. Last week at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California, scientists at the National Ignition Facility achieved fusion ignition. It's the first time it has ever been done in a laboratory anywhere in the world. Simply put, this is one of the most impressive scientific feats of the 21st century. For the first time ever, scientists have successfully produced a nuclear fusion reaction. A team at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California directed 192 laser beams at the inner wall of a tiny gold cylinder that housed an even tinier fuel capsule. These laser beams bounced off the inner walls, striking and energising the fuel capsule. It all happened in less time than it takes to move 10 feet. Marv Adams is part of the US National Nuclear Security Administration and he explained at the press conference what happened next. X-rays from the wall impinged on the spherical capsule. Fusion fuel in the capsule got squeezed. Fusion reactions started. This had all happened before, a hundred times before. But last week, for the first time, they designed this experiment so that the fusion fuel stayed hot enough, dense enough, and round enough for long enough that it ignited and it produced more energies than the lasers had deposited. And if the conditions are right, the reaction will continue producing energy indefinitely. Existing nuclear power plants work through fission, splitting apart heavy atoms to create energy. It's a rich source of energy, but one which produces toxic waste, and if improperly managed, can be really dangerous. In contrast with nuclear fission, an uncontrolled fusion reaction won't cause an explosion, it'll just simply stop. So what does this accomplishment mean? Well, US Secretary General Jennifer Granholm explained the following. First, it strengthens our national security because it opens a new realm for maintaining a safe, secure and effective nuclear deterrent in an age where we do not have nuclear testing. Ignition allows us to replicate for the first time certain conditions that are found only in the stars and the sun. And the second thing it does, of course, is that this milestone moves us one significant step closer to the possibility of zero carbon, abundant fusion energy 
powering our society. Often described as a holy grail of energy, fusion's still under development and scientists have chased breakthroughs for many decades. Amid a global energy and climate crisis, nuclear fusion won't be ready in time to solve these problems, but each breakthrough is a step towards a safer, infinite power source becoming a reality. Alyssa was only 12 years old when she was diagnosed with a form of leukaemia that was 96% curable. She soon found out she was in the other 4%. So I had um, chemotherapy to start off with and unfortunately that wasn't effective enough on my leukaemia. So we tried to bone marrow transplant, which also didn't work. As conventional treatments had failed, Alyssa's doctors had suggested a revolutionary new treatment called base editing. Six months later... Alicia is cancer-free. Dr David Liu is one of the inventors of base editing. He's a Harvard professor and shared with DW News just how it works. So base editors are machines, molecular machines that we engineered, drawing from components in nature and in our laboratory, that convert one DNA letter to a different letter of our choosing in the vast genome. They can be targeted to a specific sequence of interest where they then rearrange the atoms in one DNA base to instead become a different DNA base. So base editors can correct the misspellings that cause genetic disease or make other kinds of precise single-letter changes that can be useful for fighting disease, such as the T-cell leukemia that Alyssa had. Alyssa's currently in remission, but doctors and scientists are hesitant to say it's a cure for cancer. Cancer, by its very nature, is constantly evolving to try to evade our medicines. But in this case, the doctors did not simply attack the cancer by trying to change the DNA sequence of the cancer cells. Instead, they took a, a much more clever approach, one that is built on the work of many, many scientists in immuno-oncology, as it's called, in which we make precise base edits in a donor's T-cells that then reprogram those cells to go after Alyssa's cancer without harming Alyssa's cells. So that approach proved to be very effective in, in treating Alyssa, and six months after treatment, she doesn't have any detectable cancer. Of course, that doesn't necessarily mean she's cured for life, but we're all hopeful that her cancer-free status will last for the foreseeable future. As for Alyssa herself, what does she think about this treatment? Well, she shared her thoughts with Channel 4 News. It's like so great for me, but it's going to be so great for other people as well in the future that maybe think that they have run out of options, but there will be a new one. Still to come on the Sunday 7, there's mission success with Orion and more changes at Twitter HQ. NASA's Orion spacecraft has successfully splashed down into the Pacific Ocean after a 25-day mission around the Moon. A full inspection still required, of course, but for now, seems to be mission accomplished. Splashdown. From Tranquility Base to Taurus Littrow to the tranquil waters of the Pacific, the latest chapter of NASA's journey to the Moon comes to a close. Orion, back on Earth. The date chosen for Splashdown was a nod to space travel folklore. It was 50 years to the day since the crew of Apollo 17 became the last astronauts to walk on the moon. Now, NASA wants to do that again. Here's Administrator Bill Nelson. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create, in order to go on 
It is the beginning of the new beginning, and that is to explore the heavens. Orion's launch last month marked the start of the Artemis programme. It hopes to land people on the moon in three years and then to establish a base there as a stepping stone to Mars and beyond. This time was just a flyby, but it gives us a glimpse of what's to come as mankind pushes further into deep space. been a while since we talked about Twitter on the Sunday 7, but Elon Musk has been keeping busy. In the past few weeks, he's released what's been dubbed the Twitter files. There's been a major shake-up with the verification system, and there have even been promises to increase the character limit to 4,000. To get a clear picture of it all, we sat down with our old friend, tech reporter Will Guyatt, to figure out what on earth's going on. Will, thanks for joining us again. So let's start with the Twitter files. For the past two weeks, Elon's been releasing internal documents to a hand-picked group of journalists who are digging through them and posting excerpts on Twitter. Why on earth is he doing it, and is it really that important? Depending on who you are, the Twitter files appear to have been designed to appeal to uh, a pro-Elon Musk audience, those who think that social media have got too woke and a too left-wing. Because what's really happened over the last few weeks, out of all the millions and millions of stories and things and initiatives and conversations and tough moments that Twitter has faced over the years, he's pulled out stuff that seems to prove just a few of the tiny arguments and a few of his viewpoints on things. Um, that's where it seems to me at the moment. And, and the fact that he's handpicked the journalists as well, this isn't an open pool of journalists who are pouring over an unlimited amount of material. It's almost like stories are being fed at the moment, which um, when you see the stories that we've had, there's nothing explosive here. This is not the next Watergate. And I don't really know what he's intending to show. Elon Musk has said that one of the big revelations from the Twitter files is this idea that people have been so-called shadow banned or have uh, had their reach restricted. Now he's gone and shown a couple of prominent uh, right-wing American commentators with that. But evidence everybody knows exists points to that also happening to left-wing commentators too. So this shouldn't be a battle of the left and right like Elon Musk is desperately trying to paint it right now. There have also been some big changes with check marks. They're relaunching Twitter Blue, which is the subscription service for a blue Twitter tick. What's new about it and why are they relaunching? Well, when it comes to verification, there's been more U-turns than the Conservative government. Not really sure where we're at. Other than it's been re- the blue tick has been relaunched. You pay $8 a month or $11 a month if you're on uh, Apple devices because Elon Musk has decided he's going to add on the 30% charge that he would normally have received from Apple for doing it through Apple Store. And it supersedes the blue tick that's been recognized for all the right reasons, the verified public figures, etc. Elon Musk has tried to amp that up to say it was morally corrupt and hugely biased as to who got a blue tick. But of course, he's going to say that if he's going to try and persuade everybody to pay eight bucks a month to have the right to have it. And on the opposite side of that, they've also now introduced a gold tick for businesses. And also there's apparently a grey tick coming for government entities. Are there any exclusive features you get for paying for your blue tick? You, you really don't get much for Twitter blue. And there's a very rudimentary edit function, which means you get 30 minutes to edit your tweet. Uh, you can also uh, undo a tweet instantly by um, sort of like an instant removal if you're unhappy with it. So there's a few little bits and pieces you get, but no real reason to go and spend the $8 a month, which is unless you're a raging egotist, very few people are going to go and spend $8 on buying this. I think Elon Musk 
thought the allure of the blue tick was much bigger than the reality, but it's just another weird example of how that company is currently grifting and looking to try and find as much money as it can from as many places. Musk also revealed he wants to increase the 280 character limit to 4,000. Jack Dorsey doubled the existing limit from 140 a few years ago, but this is a huge jump. Could the 4,000 character limit be the end of Twitter as we know it? I think this is Elon Musk either dancing on the grave of Twitter or at least pissing on it, I think is the best way to describe it. Uh, we had people who lost their mind when we went from 140 to 280 characters saying that it had lost its sense of why it was there because Twitter was always meant to be a kind of piffy, quick take, uh, your view on something as it was unfolding in the world. That's what Twitter was always meant to be. And people said it lost some of that when it went to 280. Uh, taking it to 4,000, that's the equivalent of 650 words, depending on how you write, or more words if you're a user of very short words. So that turns it into sort of bigger than most average news website articles. And then you kind of wonder, what's the point of it then? Just go somewhere else, because it just becomes somewhere for these massive rants, probably for Elon Musk's massive rants that's the reality of this but yeah four thousand words it's the end of twitter as far as i'm concerned still to come on the sunday seven people in korea are getting a year younger and there's a mysterious drone heard around the world right after this imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. Three. We live in a really noisy world, don't we? Traffic, industry, building construction, city streets, it all adds up to an overwhelming din that's far louder than people experienced in earlier times. But what if there were other noises that not everyone can hear? Barely perceptible, very, very low, bassy, rumbling and pulsating hum. A diesel engine idling, uh, like a lorry ticking over or something like that. The hum is a name often given to widespread reports of a persistent and invasive low-frequency droning hum or rumble that's audible to many but not all people. In the UK, Bristol's a hum hotspot. James Dunn's a resident there who first started hearing the hum in 2009. Here he is talking to the BBC. What started initially as an irritation is starting to become more of an irritation because when I notice it when I'm trying to get to sleep, I hear it because of the way it pulsates up. I really, really hear it and notice it, and that has stopped me from getting to sleep. Uh, I can hear it at the front of the house and the back of the house, and I can hear it outside as well, but only at night, possibly because of less background noise. I've never heard this hum anywhere else in the UK other than in Bristol. I have tried to record it myself to see if I could send it to anyone. I've walked around outside trying to pinpoint its location, but I can't find the direction of the sound. It appears to be completely omnipresent. I firmly believe it's an outside source, 
But where it is, I don't know. Or what it is, I certainly don't know. But Bristol's not the only place that's afflicted by strange noises. Glenn McPherson's a Canadian science teacher. When he's not teaching students, he's trying to find global evidence of the worldwide hum. And he's found over 13,000 people on five continents who've emailed to say they too are hearing something a little bit odd. This is a number that's too large to dismiss as simply hysteria, delusion or belief in the supernatural. Given that people arrive at this um, independently and now looking at the hum map and looking at the geographic distribution and the distribution in age and gender, what these people are reporting is um, is something that is uh, certainly uh, real for them. A paper from the University of Oklahoma links the sound to a US military program that uses very low frequency radio to communicate with nuclear submarines underwater. It's the first of a few explanations that McPherson's pursuing. Second, the hum is the grand accumulation of human activity at low frequency sound and infrasound. Um, third, that the hum is a terrestrial geological phenomenon. And fourth, Um, the hum might well be an internally generated phenomenon by the body. Using a specially built steel box, which is supposed to block radio waves, McPherson wants to eliminate all outside sources for the sound. However, so far the hum is still there, even inside the box. That means new approaches and trying different technologies might still be needed to give people around the world the quiet life they deserve. A momentous discovery in South Africa is the potential to turn our understanding of human history on its head. It turns out, as humans, well, we're not so special after all. Nearly ten years ago, renowned paleoanthropologist Lee Berger first discovered a new pre-human ancestor in a cave just outside of Johannesburg named Homo naledi. At the time, he hypothesised that the creature was deliberately placing its dead in dangerous underground chambers, but this theory drew lots of criticism, as other scientists didn't believe the intricate web of caves was possible to navigate without light. And the reason they didn't believe it was because Homo naledi, with its tiny little brain just bigger than a chimpanzee, couldn't have had fire. That's Burgess speaking with CBS. The controlled use of fire was supposedly unique to humans, and for nearly a decade his team found no evidence that Homo naledi used fire. That's until Berger lost 50 pounds so he could squeeze through the narrow corridors himself for the very first time in August. His painstakingly inched all the way to the bottom. And I looked up, and I realised the ceiling was black. It was burnt. It was covered in soot. It had been right above our heads the entire time. But you were looking down all the time. But we were always looking down. It was undeniable evidence of fire. On that very same day, his lead investigator, Keneilwe Malopiani, was making another remarkable find just nearby. And then pieces of bone start coming up, burnt bone, and I'm just like, okay. All right, I can't ignore it anymore, right? Because as an archaeologist, you have to follow the evidence. Burnt bones. They were eating there. After that, they saw fire everywhere. And I suspect, based on what we're seeing, they're not just carrying fire. I think they're making it. And it's done hundreds of thousands of years, perhaps, before maybe humans were doing it. Berger believes this discovery will challenge our assumptions about human uniqueness. And it should give us pause. It should make us think deeply about the way we have placed ourselves on a pedestal as something special. Because Homo naledi's became proved that it may have happened many times in the past.
You may have seen headlines in recent days claiming that all South Koreans are set to become a year or two younger. And officially speaking, it's true. Here's why. If you ask a Korean person how old they are, they're likely to tell you in an age that's a year or even two years older than you would expect by looking at their birth date. But this month, South Korea's National Assembly passed a set of bills, meaning that from June 2023, the country will use the international age counting system for all official purposes. This follows a presidential campaign pledge to unify the country's age system, as there's been criticism that the current system can cause confusion, for instance, in providing public service. So how does the Korean age system work? Well, there's actually three systems on the go. Unlike international age, Korean age starts at one. But it's not just as simple as adding a year onto your international age. Your Korean age moves up at the start of every new year. So let's say a baby's born this month in December. There they are. They're considered one immediately, and then they turn two with the new year. And there's another calendar age system too, which is used to buy age-restricted items like alcohol, as well as for military conscription. This one's a bit of a hybrid. It starts at zero, like international age, but it moves up every new year, meaning every year group comes of age at the same time, regardless of their birthday. God blimey. So, will Korean age really disappear? All of this will require a big cultural shift. Some couples have even planned a favourable month for childbirth for Korean age purposes. And even if all the official documents recognise international age, it might take a while before people think of themselves in those terms. Although the government are going to promote it, it may depend on what's the most convenient. As we know, while kids are often quite happy to raise their age by a year or two, for those over (coughs) a certain age, the international system will probably do just fine. Thanks very much. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.